Hey, North County, you're listening to another episode of the North County Beat. Today is Friday, June 26th. I'm Kelly Kyle. And I'm Ryan Wolt. We're here to bring you the latest news and updates from North County, San Diego. First, a quick shout out to the sponsor of the North County Beat, Cox Communications. Cox Communications offers high quality Gigablast internet services that help businesses, families, and individuals stay online and connected. Get more information at cox.com. Another quick message for you. For 34 years, the Coast News has been a leading voice in North County, San Diego. We're continuing to passionately cover the stories of our communities, of local economies, sports, culture, and politics. And of course, the ongoing impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. If you'd like to support our efforts to provide high-quality local journalism, please go to thecoastnews.com. And if you are able, click the donate button on the upper left. We appreciate your support. First, some recent coronavirus stats. The nationwide number of deaths has reached close to 122,000, and San Diego County has reported 352 COVID-19-related deaths at the time of this recording. The number of cases has been going up, in part due to more testing, but also because of newly reopened restaurants and businesses. The county has seen more than 300 new cases for the fourth time in five days, and it saw another community outbreak on Thursday that put the county above its threshold for outbreaks seen in a full week. The new outbreaks have reportedly been small and not inspired the county to begin rolling back any part of the phased economic reopening, at least not yet. Outbreaks have been attributed to a variety of sources, including restaurants, family gatherings, retail stores, a manufacturing business, and even a city hall, among others. But in good COVID-19 news, county health officials have also not traced any outbreaks to the recent protest movements. And even though we're seeing a jump in cases, we haven't seen an equal jump in hospitalizations in San Diego County just yet. However, hospitalizations have gone up dramatically in other parts of the state. Check out the interactive map on the Coast News' COVID-19 resource page, where you can see updates for the county as a whole or find out details just for your zip code. Before we look at the latest with police reform in North County, we want to mention a big holiday that just passed. Juneteenth. Celebrated on the 19th of June, This day recognized the emancipation of enslaved people in the United States and the day that enslaved folks in Texas learned that they were free. Protests sparked by the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement have significantly increased the awareness of this holiday and inspired celebrations and recognition ceremonies up and down San Diego County. Activists are calling for reforms in the Carlsbad Police Department after video of an arrest showing officers tasing and arresting an intoxicated black man named Marcel Cox Harshaw went viral. Carlsbad Police quickly released body camera footage from the officers and a timeline of the event. A police spokesperson said the officers followed the department's use of force protocols, describing Cox Harshaw as being extremely agitated and fueled by a blood alcohol content three times the legal driving limit. Representatives from multiple activist groups held a joint press conference where they stated their belief that the incident was escalated into conflict and Cox Harshaw's state of mind should have been taken into consideration by law enforcement officers prior to the arrest. They're calling for multiple reforms and reprimands for the officers. One of the reforms included was to call for a civilian oversight committee. The Carlsbad City Council began to address that this week when Mayor Matt Hall called for a workshop to discuss a review committee. As local, state, and national governments decide how to tackle police reform, we want to turn to one program in Eugene, Oregon. They've changed the way policing goes down in their city. CAHOOTS, which is short for Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets, puts the focus on mental health during an emergency response. 
Coast News Editor-in-Chief Jordan Ingram spoke with Kimber Hawes, the agency's outreach manager, to learn more about how it all works. Can you tell me about how you got started, but also, you know, kind of the origins of Cahoots? How I got started working for Cahoots is I actually, in my undergrad at the U of O, was needed to do practicum, and so I came to Whitebird and worked at the Day Access Center. I think the reason that I, like, stay to do the work that I do is, like, I came from a privileged upbringing, and so I was very shocked to see that people live that way and then learn that there are, like, systems in place that keep unhoused folks living that way or keep communities of color living that way, and I just didn't like it, and so now I do everything I can to combat that. Essentially, how Whitebird Clinic got started is... um, it originated out of a counterculture movement in the 60s. Like they were noticing a lot of traveling hippies and youth that didn't trust the police, didn't trust EMS, and wanted to provide a service that was more humanistic um, and compassionate and kind of like exactly what those clients needed but were resistant to in those other groups because they didn't operate by the same values. So they they started this crisis line, but what they realized pretty promptly is that, like, there were some calls they needed to respond in person to, and that was what the bummer squad was called. And uh-huh. what happened, yeah, what happened over time is that we'd arrive on calls and police would be there, and over time, built rapport with the police, and then the police wanted to fund us. So EPD was considering hiring like three to nine new officers. And instead of doing that, they decided to fund Cahoots, or which the Bummer Squad, which then became Cahoots. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's a a big decision for a police department to say, you must really have shown some results. No, totally. And and over time, they've continued, the police have continued to see the results in Eugene and fund us more and more. Um, Mm. And, you know, I think that just, my opinion is like when you have a police program that is like rooted in community values, then that type of stuff and funding programs like us becomes less threatening and more like just a necessity. Like there are a lot of officers, at least in Eugene, I know that would say like, yeah, we shouldn't respond to those calls. That's not my call. I'm not trained in that. Like they mm. have a lot of humility, whereas like around the nation, I don't feel like that's the case as much. Like they're uh, maybe a little more protective of starting these programs and wanting to keep their funding and stuff. How far does the you know counselors and people that work for Whitebird? How far does their role go? I mean, are you called in to court, or how does that work? How we have like impacted the police department is like. They go through annual trainings on, uh, what is it, crisis, or it's CIT, so it's called crisis intervention training, where they hear from a lot of different community groups. And one of the groups that has probably the most influence on that in Eugene and Springfield is us. And so we go in and we teach them de-escalation tactics and talk about what we do and how to utilize us and how to, yeah, basically not escalate the crisis, which is great. And we have like, I mean, there's always a few bad eggs, you know, but mostly in Eugene, the cops are really open to that feedback and they seek it out. And I imagine it kind of builds from there. Like people start to 
appreciate the feedback. And so the new people coming in, they kind of see it as normal and, you know what I mean? So it just kind of grows to be the norm. Oh, totally. And and we're exploring actually new ways for those green recruits to like not just get a training that involves like perceiving everything as a threat, but also getting that ex- like almost extensive like de-escalation training. So we've been talking about, you know, does that look like us training them a bit so that they have more skills to not escalate people like and get them when they're new so that they just implement those skills automatically. You know, a lot of people have seen this, this defund the police signs. And, you know, of course, people immediately take it like, you know, no more police. Right, right. Abolition and stuff. When you see something like that, what do you think of? And and maybe just based on your experience, what, what are some things that cities could do right now? some like low-cost measures that would maybe work to gain some trust back in the community. The CAHOOTS team is a group of abolitionists, like just to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but the process with abolition is that it takes a long time and it takes buy-in from the community. And like this, I, this thought process of like, we need to just completely disband the police right now, like that is totally unrealistic. Like I, as a crisis worker don't want to respond to a call where a man has a gun and is beating his wife. You know, like that's the thing that people don't see and they don't see like how police are necessary in a lot of ways. Like I've fought for my life at my job and like, I'm I'm glad I could call the police. Like, um, so it's not as simple as that. Like I think, you know, our entire society is a gray area and people like to take mental shortcuts and think in like, you know, to like the extremes, but it's gray. And so what gray looks like is just transitioning. Right. And I think, you know, I've, I've been on calls with officers where their supervisor gives them an order to kick unhoused people out of parks and they don't want to do it, but they have to do it. And those officers are as unhappy about it as I am, you know, and, and so, like, what we need to focus on right now is, yeah, defunding, but also reforming the exist, like, what's happening right now in order to move towards abolition. All right, Kimber, thanks. All right, take care. When it comes to the CAHOOTS program model, we could see something similar right here in Vista. At their city council meeting on Tuesday, Councilman John Franklin said that they were in the early talks with the county on a crisis stabilization unit that would prioritize mental health for emergency response. He shared this after a group that we actually talked to last episode, North County for Racial Justice, had again digitally shown up at the Vista City Council meeting to express demands to defund the police and to stop hiring new cops for the purpose of public safety. Stay tuned for where the council's going to go on that. The focus on local police departments continues this week as the Coast News examined publicly available data showing that three North County cities with their own police departments, Oceanside, Escondido, and Carlsbad, have generally increased discretionary spending on police. But as costs have trended upward, the crime clearance rate for violent crimes and property crime has mostly gone down. Some financially hard-hit cultural institutions got some good news this week. The San Luis Rey Mission Indian Foundation of Vista is one of the recipients of a CARES Act economic stabilization grant. 
The grant will enable the foundation to retain one full-time and two part-time staffers. And during a meeting with the Southern California Tribal Chairmen's Association, Sandag has committed $200,000 for planning transportation and conservation strategies related to key issues affecting local Native American reservations. The two groups will coordinate on policy, including transportation, habitat conservation, and energy and economic developments. And some breaking news about the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station. The song's task force has made their recommendations, and they're calling for a creation of the Federal Nuclear Waste Administration that focuses solely on the storage and disposal of spent nuclear fuel. They're also recommending that the 3.6 million pounds of spent nuclear fuel at the site be moved to someplace with higher elevation that's further from the coast, which will help avoid water corrosion risks and to expand emergency planning procedures stemming from plant operations to cover all municipalities within a 50-mile radius of the plant. The news has been pretty heavy lately. Coronavirus, police reform, systemic racism, it's been a lot to process. Taking a few moments for self-care is important. Do you remember when you could kind of refresh and unwind with a concert or a performance from your favorite artists? Music venues and the performers certainly do, and they can't wait to get back at it. Kelly looked at how local musicians and one of North County's most famous venues have kept rocking since the pandemic hit. Coast News reporter Lexi Broad also contributed to this story. That good old rock and roll you're hearing is a set from the band Hot Snakes at a March 12th concert at the Belly Up. As one of San Diego's most established music venues, and easily some of the most fun you'll have in Solana Beach, the Belly Up is a one-of-a-kind experience. But when the coronavirus plunged the world into lockdown, this stage went silent. And it all happened so fast. One minute it was 250 people, and the next minute it was just closed. Chris Goldsmith is the president of Belly Up Entertainment. When the venue was forced to close back in March, the schedule was already solidly booked five to six months out, and they even had a few shows on the bill for January 2021. We had to cancel and schedule probably 200 shows by now. But like many artists in concert venues, Goldsmith and the team at the Belly Up looked for more innovative ways to still bring entertainment to the community. They worked with artists to release nearly 40 albums of concerts recorded at their venue to help raise some money while they were closed. Now they're offering Belly Up Live, a series of high-quality live stream performances where a band comes in to perform live for the cameras and people can purchase a virtual ticket to watch from their homes. Here's part of one that was recorded on June 14th with the White Buffalo. Goldsmith says these virtual live events, which basically feel like a TV show, have been a win-win. We're looking to do 20 or 30 of these this summer, and it'll be a really fun thing for uh, our audience to be able to reconnect with the club uh, online for the band, and it helps them raise money when they have no other income right now. And uh, it's good for the club. It keeps uh, some of our people working, and it keeps us uh, you know, doing something that we love to do, which is present live music. Local artists are also finding new ways to practice their craft. Kimmy Bitter is an Americana country artist based in Oceanside who's played all around San Diego, including at the Belly Up. Thank you guys. My name's Kimmy Bitter. This is Willis Farnsworth. We're musicians. The spring and summer of 2020 was going to be one of her band's busiest performance seasons yet. So when COVID-19 hit, she had to pivot. Live from the driveway, it's Friday Night Live! 
Around April, Bitter and her bandmate slash boyfriend, Willis Farnsworth, started doing performances from her driveway. It all started because their parents, who are their biggest fans naturally, missed seeing them perform live. So Bitter took the show into the front yard. In my driveway, um, I probably would have about 100 people out, like, set up their lawn chairs in our street and just watch us play. In a time full of so much uncertainty and with so many activities on pause, Bitter says this experience was just what people needed during COVID-19. It was in such a weird time when, like, people really needed music and needed to feel normalcy and needed to, like, come together because they were deprived of all that. Bitter has found another silver lining as an artist during this quarantine phase, a space for some creativity. We now just kind of have this endless time to write music and be creative and just kind of live in that place instead of trying to make time for it. Like, there's going to be some amazing music that comes out of all of this. Other bands have also been tapping into their creative sides during COVID-19. Dead Feather Moon is a five-piece rock band out of North County that's been on the scene for more than a decade. They've played all over San Diego and in other parts of the country, too. Justin Berge, the band's singer, says they've been experimenting with new music, but it's challenging when they can't really be together. The whole COVID thing doesn't wipe away creativity, but it does hinder your ability to get together as a band, and that's what I think what I'm, like, jonesing for, like, what I miss. The bandmates all have their own full-time jobs and families, which has made it tough for them to focus on the band during these crazy times. They thought about live streaming some shows, but Bergie says the rock and roll experience just wouldn't be the same for them. It would be like trying to do stand-up in front of a camera instead of with the crowd. Like, there's no way that's really going to come across the way it should come across. That leads to another question that everybody's been asking. When can we see live bands again? Goldsmith at the Belly Up says it probably won't be anytime soon since there are many adjustments they'll need to make to their schedule and their offerings. A little, uh, a little bit of a, of a roller coaster ride, trying to figure out what, what we might do. So I, I don't think we'll get back to full capacity for, um, uh, you know, for a while. I mean, best case scenario would be fall, and more realistically, into 2021. In the meantime, Belly Up is looking at other models of performances, including an SNL style where there's a small live audience and everyone else watches from home. That's just one idea floating around. But this waiting period is really tough because these venues and these artists are small businesses and they've also got bills to pay. Bitter has resumed a few of her gigs at breweries and restaurants and she's trying to get back on stage at other major venues, but she's hit a few bumps from personnel changes that happened during the pandemic. I've re-reached out to places that I, I totally would play all the time and it's a different person now taking over, but they don't know me, they don't trust me, so they don't get back to me, where I'm like, this is usually just a staple of mine. Like, I've already proven myself here. So artists and music venues, just like the rest of us, are still figuring out what their new normal is going to be. At the same time, Bergie from Dead Feather Moon says audiences are realizing just how much they miss the arts and going to a live performance. You don't have the ability to go out and go to a restaurant and be surrounded by people. So then you realize, start to realize how like, important that is. And then now you don't have that 
live concert that you wanted to go to and that gets taken away and I think that should be realized. Bitter says the comeback is going to bring some humility for both the artists and the listeners. I just think we won't take it so for granted and I think that's a really good thing. These musicians are ready to get back on stage whenever they are able to do so. Bergie from Dead Feather Moon says he can't wait to dive back in. You could say he's just a little excited. When you guys do get to play again in the normal world or whatever that looks like, can you describe for me like how that would feel? Dude, I, I can't even imagine. I'm <laughs> I can't even can I curse or no? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. So, so I I just I just like I I can't imagine what it'd be like to get back on stage. I just I I wanna be there so badly. Until then, bands will just have to jam out on their own, or via Facebook Live, or even in driveways, so North County can keep on rocking. That's one more show in the books, everyone. You can find all these stories and more on thecoastnews.com or pick up a copy of the Coast newspaper. You can find them all over North County. And if you're looking for more podcast content, please check out the newest episodes of the Cheers North County podcast, where I get a chance to have a drink with interesting people. Just search for Cheers North County wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to go to thecoastnews.com and bookmark our COVID-19 resource page for more helpful tools, including a new interactive map and news stories on the latest developments in your neighborhood. A huge thank you to all the people who helped out with this episode, especially the great Coast News reporters, Tigus Lane, Dan Brendel, Lexi Brote, and Steve Petersky, who are doing some incredible work out there. Our editor-in-chief, Jordan Ingram, also contributed reporting to this episode, as you heard. The Coast News associate publisher is Chris Kidd, and our publisher is Jim Kidd. The next episode of the North County Beat drops after Independence Day on Friday, July 10th. I'm Kelly Kyle. And I'm Ryan Wolt. Thank you so much for joining us. Please wear your masks, have a happy and safe holiday, and be good to each other out there. We'll talk to you next time.